Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. To you, Holy Spirit, as you minister through Hilton. I pray that he would be blessed as he brings your word. In Jesus' name. Go for it, Hilt. We love you. Awesome. Thank you. Right. Oh, there we go. It really is wonderful to be here. It's, a, it's an incredible, incredible privilege to, to come and share. And um, before I, I start, I, I want to just tell you, as a community, as a church, that you guys are in good hands. As, as Roger and Tanya mentioned, and, and I'm talking to them, of them and the leadership team here, that we, I've known him for 21 years, and we have, I know his front porch, and I also know his back porch, you know. I know what's, what he shows everyone, and I know what they don't show everyone. And here's, there are a couple of integrity. They are a, a simple couple in the sense that they have no agenda. And I can endorse them for what it's worth. I can say that, I just want to say, you guys are in safe hands with this team. You really, really are. Yeah. So this morning, I hope to speak a little bit prophetically to you. But, but before I do, John Whitfield, why don't you stand up? Yeah, let's... I think one of the things that I really do enjoy doing is embarrassing people. <laughs> so I'm like not the only Nana here. John, I, I, I felt like the Spirit of God was, was saying to me that you're like Cornelius. Your, your good, your generosity and prayers have been heard in heaven. And because of that, the angel, just as the, the, the angel was dispatched to Cornelius' house, to open up a way for the gospel to go to all the Gentiles and the spirit to be poured out on the Gentiles because up until Cornelius' house, all the Christians were Jewish and none of them believed that the gospel, the good news, was for anyone else other than the Jews. And it was because of Cornelius and because of his, his generosity and because of his prayers that something opened. And I feel like the angel that's been dispatched to you to declare to you is it is a breakthrough season coming for you and Sharon. There's, a, there's been a contending and there's been a closing. And just as the angel of the Lord explained to Cornelius what to do and where to go, which opened up things, where to send men, I feel like you're going to get strategy from heaven for this next season to begin to open what you're doing. And I feel, John, that sometimes you look too close to your feet. And I feel like the Spirit of God is telling you to look a bit further. There's some things that He has responsibility for, and there's some things that He decries for you to have responsibility for. And the problem has been that you have been taking responsibility for the things that He wants to do and asking Him to do the things that He wants you to do. So, Father, I just thank you for John. I thank you for a new season of breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I really have to choose between seeing you or my notes. So it's kind of got to that. Roger couldn't quite lift the podium high enough or put it low enough, should I say. So, um, right. So this morning, guys, I really want to just come and share as a friend and, and, and share as someone who kind of has, has walked a long road with this house and who, who, who loves this house. Janine and I really, really do. We, we love you guys. We pray for you. 
And I know Glenrich pray for you guys. I know Stan and Heather pray for you. And in a sense, it's kind of out of ulterior motives that we're praying for you. Because your success is our success. Your victories are our victories because we're sowing into them in prayer and in wishes and in hearts. So kind of like we want you to succeed because then we're going to succeed as well just because of what you're doing. So we really, really are excited. So I want to remind you this morning of the prophetic purpose that rests in this community, that rests in every brick that was built here and every foundation in the very property of this community. And I want to go back a little bit and tell you a story, a little bit of that, and then speak into something uh, from that. You know, when, when this church was planted, a guy called Terry Fauché was kind of sent from Glenrich to plant a church, I think it was 25 years ago? 26. Okay, excuse, I'm useless with dates. 26 years ago, and literally came with, I think, 12 couples, and they planted a family. It wasn't a church in that sense. It was a family of believers. They were incredibly tight, and Terry and Linda treated everyone as family. In fact, he would come, if you were in his church, or even if you weren't in his church, he would come and visit you if you hadn't been in church the previous Sunday, walk straight into your house, open your fridge, see what was nice to eat, take something nice, close the fridge, sit down, and have a, converse, a pastoral conversation with you. That was who Terry was. So at the very in the very foundations of this community is family. It's built relationships and family. That's what this was started out of. So when you've, if you've joined this church since then, you're joining into a family. That's the, that's the core of this, is family. And, and not only is it family, but, it's, but it's, a, it's a restoring community. You know, I was chatting to a guy called Mike Graves. Most of you won't know him. When the church had first been planted, he was an elder in a, in a church in the area, and they're kind of like, there was like sometimes happens in churches, there was, he was basically excommunicated from the church, him and his wife. And kind of they were, as you can imagine, were incredibly hurt and broken, and Terry heard about this, and Terry went to him and said, Mike, you need to come to Hillside. And he said, I'm not going to church anymore. He said, Mike, I'm not taking a no. You need to be in community, and you need to be at Hillside. And these are Mike's words, and Mike refused. Anyway, Terry said to him these words. Terry said, Mike, this Sunday, I am leading worship, because it was a very small community then, and if by the end of worship, I do not see you in the congregation, I'm going to tell the people to carry on worshiping, and I'm coming to find you. And I'm going to load you in my car, and I'm going to bring you to this community, and that's how it's going to be. So Mike was like, oh. you know, just to save the whole palaver and have a whole kind of bunch of people mess up a whole church service, he said, he'll go. And that was instrumental in Mike being restored. And they're, they're, they're just into a beautiful, beautiful place. Mike has now planted a church a while ago from, from that restoration, because that's the next thing. You're Not only are you a restoring community, you're a sending community. It's in your very roots. Mike was sent by Hillside into Canada, has planted a church, and I think there, there are nearly seven, 800 people in that church in Canada. So it's an incredible thing for a, for a first world country to have a church of seven, 800 people. So you need to know what started here is impacting the world. That's in your DNA. That's built into these very spiritual walls that you are a sending community. But not only are you a sending community, 
you're also a worshiping community. I think from here, from the very DNA, from the very beginning, we had guys like Alan Frassi, Nick Faircliffe. Hi, you, Nick. Part of the, 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 the very depths of the, the, the worship culture, the worship community that was birthed here. I remember the first time we came to Hillside, we had come from Durban and we had been part of a very conservative church where we used to kind of sing um, what, what, choruses. We had a guy on a guitar and we'd sing choruses, you know, and it was like, it was sweet and it was gentle. I mean, it was, there was the move of God, but the style of our church was very chorusy and, you know. Anyway, we arrived at Hillside, and, and I, need, I need you to know that not only was it a, a worshiping community, it was also a very creative community. And so our first time at Hillside, we, we had decided we weren't, when we moved up to Hillcrest, Janine and I had decided we weren't going to come to this church because I, I'm one of four, five brothers, and all my life I'd been with my brothers somewhere along the line, and one of my brothers was already coming to this church. I decided it's time for me to break free from the Mandel Mafia, <laughs> and I'm going to set my own tone, but Craig kind of said, come to Hillside, come to Hillside, come to Hillside. I said to Janine, we'll go once, we'll say we've seen it, we don't like it, moving on. That was our strategy, and we walked in, and, and I, I want to say in my conservative thinking and conservative understanding, it was like a culture shock of note. That I think some guys that had a bet and, and a whole lot of guys had dyed their hair. So it was, it was bright blue hair or something like that. So I'm walking in with all these men, adult men with bright blue hair, and I'm like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> and then we, we, we sit down and it was just, there were just strange people in this community. They were all artists. The guy next to us had about 37 earrings, and I have no issue with guys having earrings, but from where I was coming, that was where I'd come from, that was just weird, you know, and nose piercings and this piercings, and I'm like, are you even saved? <laughs> and, and there was just, uh, it was just an assault of all these strange things that I wasn't used to. And then to top it all off, Alan Frau was leading worship, and, and it was literally like I'd gone into a Seattle grunge band. It was like, I couldn't read the words as fast as they were singing. And I, I like looked at Janine and I thought, I was like, what is this place? This is just weird. And anyway, so I was like, the resolve was settled that I was never setting foot in this place again. And, and then the guy preached and Richard preached, Richard Lawton preached. And, and if I'm honest, I had been quite uh, back-footed in my church thing, and most of the times Janine would, would try and keep me awake during the sermon. I'd kind of fall asleep after 10 minutes and just nothing. And it was the first time that I'd stayed awake in a sermon in probably like six or seven years. And it was like, wow. And so not only are you a creative community, but you're a community of the Word. It's one of the gifts that Richard and Jill have deposited into this community is a deep love for theology and a deep understanding of the word and how things work. And so all these things are locked in to this community. And, and, and also a healing community, I need to say, that there was, there's been incredible, if you go back through Hillside's history, the stories, I mean, with Tyra Nakel was taking teams to Zim and just, it was blind eyes healed. There has been... Um, at the, that we take teams into the mind, body, and soul, and people getting saved, like, who are worshiping all sorts of different things, healings, incredible, incredible healings. That this, and I know John 
pushes on with the healing events here. There's just incredible, this is a healing community. And, and so there's a rich fabric of life that is sitting, resting in this community. And I want to this morning remind you of that. This church was never, ever meant to be a place where people looking for a white picket fence and 2.4 children and can and be happy and just settle and have their hour and a half of Jesus and then spend the rest of their lives doing whatever. There is a radicalness that sets into the very core and the very foundation of this that I feel like God is wanting to remind you of. I feel like God is wanting to say there's something, there's something prophetic and something great and something significant that has been planted into the foundations and now is the season for this to begin to come. And when I, when I just chat with people around in the region here, it's, it's quite fascinating. We, we have been on this, this uh, at Glenridge talking about Joshua and about literally the, the season has been an entering into the promises of God's season. And I feel like that's, that's not just happening in our church, but it's happening at many, many churches that I have conversations with and, and, and many people as well because, you know, churches are made up of people and people are kind of feeling like it's, it's a season of there's stuff there, there's a hunger in and what I've got is not what I'm gonna, meant to have. There's more for me. And I feel like this is the season in this region, the prophetic season in this region for us to begin to enter in and take hold of the promises that we were given. And this church is rich, rich, rich with the promises of God. The prophetic words, if you trace back the prophetic words spoken over this church, it is now is the season for us to begin to say, that was promised to us, that was promised to us, and that was promised to us. We are now going to enter in and take what was promised to us. Come on. And what's really interesting, we, we had kind of, we, Hillside had made a connection with, with, with Bethel, and we had a, a, a number of kind of people coming out, and we, we managed to get Danny Silk, who, um, those of you who don't know him, he's, he was one of the senior associate pastors at Bethel, for, runs an institute called Loving on Purpose, and does a whole lot of stuff around family and community, and just really really has a, a, a powerful understanding of the grace of God. And he came out here and did a, did a, a culture of honor conference. That was one of the things that, that he had kind of said in, at, at Bethel Church in Reading. And after the conference, um, we kept in contact with him, and, and he, he said, I need to bring Chris to Hillside, Chris Vallotton. Do, do, does everybody know who Chris Vallotton is? Am I... He's a, he's a prophet, um, person certainly in the office of a prophet, worldwide renowned, has, has a history of what's really important, a history of incredibly accurate prophetic words. That's, it's in his history, it's made up. So Danny feels that he needs to bring Chris to this community. And he, like, so we kind of have this conversation and we, we decide to do a prophetic conference. You know, you're having a prophet in the house, let's do a prophetic conference, you know. we we weren't that stupid. We knew a couple of things. We could line things up. And so we, we did this prophetic conference. And at the end of the conference, Chris preaches, I think on the Sunday, it was on the Sunday, he preaches into Hillside. And he, he preaches a prophetic word into this community. So 
just so the backstory. Danny comes, feels Chris needs to be here, brings Chris out the next time they come. They hadn't ministered, they'd never been at a conference together, an external conference together in about nine years. They just didn't have the time to do that. They felt there was something, what I'm trying to paint a picture of, they felt there was something significant of both of them coming to this community, to this place. And so Chris preaches, and he preaches this word, and the, day, the next day I was taking them to the airport, Danny and Chris in the car, and Chris was talking to Danny, and he says, he's never felt that in his life before where he began to preach, this word just came and he knew that he was speaking life of God into a thing. He said it was weird, this had, he never experienced something like that. And this is really what he said. Hillside, you are called to be a family to prophets. That's essentially, there's a whole lot in the word, but that was the essential word that he said. Now, isn't it so interesting that the key word there isn't prophets, it's family. You see, you can't do anything about the prophet part of that word. You can only be the family part, and God will bring the prophets. Do you know what I'm saying? God will raise the prophets and he'll bring them. It's not your job to do the prophet side. It's your job to be the family side. And so the interesting thing is so Chris is basically saying when you take, peel that word away, he's saying, Hillside Church, there is a divine mandate on you to be a supernatural family. That's the mandate. Isn't it so interesting? 26 years before that, Terry Fauché plants a church, and on his heart is family. I just want to be family. See, God knew when Terry planted what was in your future, and he's, set, he's setting you up for your future. And so I want to remind you that there is a mandate over this community to be supernatural family. And supernatural family is not woo-woo-woo. It's family in spite of the natural. It's above the natural. So sometimes Graham might irritate me. But I'm family. I'm family. And I speak good of him and I do things for him and I back him and I believe in him, even though he irritates me. Because, you know, the thing that irritates me about Graham is probably the thing that I'm deficient in my own life. It always happens like that. You know, God somehow packages the things we most need in the package that's most offensive to us. So we get over, to get what we most need, we have to get over our offense to go and grab a hold of it. And if we don't do that, we don't get what we need. Okay. So, so that, that's really my message this morning, is guys, and I use that generically, you know, just men, guys as in guys and girls, there is, hear what the Spirit is saying to you. There is a mandate that rests over this church, a prophetic word that rests over this church, that time has come. Because it's very interesting, when Chris released that word, warfare broke out. And it was like family unraveled. We all know what I'm talking about, just family unraveled. And it was like the word of God goes out and the very, almost the very opposite of what the Word of God 
that goes out happens in this community. And you know, in, in 1 Timothy, um, verse 18, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, wage warfare with the prophetic word spoken over your life. The other way of saying that when the prophetic word gets spoken over your life, there will be warfare. And if you're not aware of it, it's going to come to nothing. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to hinder it. When, 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 when the Spirit of God speaks in the prophetic, the enemy is listening. And he thinks, ha, let me try and mess this up. And the way he always messes it up in Christian circles is through relationships through the very thing that this community was called to be a supernatural family, the relationships get attacked and done. But you know what's fascinating? So just as much as is that, in Isaiah 55, let me find that. Somewhere in the Old Testament. One of my favorite, favorite uh, chapters of Isaiah. First... 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and, but make it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the, eat, for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire or for what I sent it out for and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, the question you have to ask, was the word that Chris delivered the word of God? When you settle that and say, yes, it was, which I think when you look at his history and his thing, you have to know that when God's word speaks, it is going to achieve what it was sent to achieve. It's not going to return to him empty-handed. So the word of God is waging warfare in this community for family. It is going to happen. There is going to be all sorts of things happening, but Life will be here. Supernatural life will be here. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that when the season shifts, and, and that's essentially what I feel has happened at Hillside, and it's now becoming a season of entering into the promises of God, we need to be wise and understand that there will be resistance. Just as there was resistance to the prophetic word, when we decide, hey, it's time to start entering, and when we start to look up and say, this is not what I was put on this earth for. There is something more for me. And you begin to press into what God has. There is resistance, and there is tactics, there is schemes of the enemy tried and tested that he uses all the time. And I, this morning, I just want to share around three Simple points that will help us understand that, be aware of that, and deal with that as we're going forward and beginning to take ground as a community, as families, and as individuals, because it all happens together. It's not just the church happens. You know, for a church to thrive, the families have to be thriving. And for the families to thrive, the individuals need to be thriving. It happens all the way through. So these words are, are multidimensional in the sense that it's church community, it's regional, it's church community, it's families, it's relationships, and it's individuals that are going to be thriving. Okay. So there's three things that we need to understand and be aware of and just... Um, when did I start? Okay. So. Okay, guys, settle down. This could be long. I see you've changed the brand of water. 
Mm. Greg, this is really good. Eh? <laughs> Sorry, my brother Greg does pristine water, and this is his competition, so just having a... So, when you, when you look at Joshua, which is a wonderful book, if you ever want to understand something about entering in, taking ground, let's go and read the book of Joshua. Read it as a story, ask Holy Spirit to begin to highlight things to you, because there is so much in that book, on, on, uh, it's multi-leveled. It speaks to the natural, what's happening, but it also speaks to the spiritual, and there's so much from that journey, and what Joshua had to go through, and they had to go through and had a process that is relevant for you and I today as we walk in and begin to take ground and begin to enter in. So the first thing God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous, be strong. It's, just, it's, an, it's a refrain through the first and second chapter of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. So, so the basis for entering in is courage. That is the, 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 the root that settles in us that if we do not have courage in our lives, we will not enter in. And there's three things that war against us having courage, spiritual courage in our lives, us having the thing to say, I'm going to go and take that. Who is this Philistine? Who is this stand, standing in front of me, defying my God? I'm going to go and take this. Three things that operate in our lives against courage. And I want to say, when I speak, don't think only in terms of hillside, entering into its season, think about your own personal life, about the relationships you have, the, the, maybe in your workplace you need to take things, maybe God's challenging you to step out and do, go and study or go and do this, or it's, it's, it's multifaceted, it's challenging you to step into a new season in God, a new space in God to do things that you maybe weren't ready to do. So the first thing is fear. It's one of my pet hates is fear, and fear essentially will say this to you, you will die. In many ways, in many things, your reputation will die, your finances will die, your relationships will die. Fear is always about death, dying, in some way or another, metaphorically, physically, if you have a sickness, fear is gonna come and say, you will die. And we need to understand that that is fear's modus operandi. They're coming to accuse you and tell you, you will die. And we, we see in Numbers tw uh, 13 verse 30, when the, the spies come back, you know, Joshua, Moses sends the spies out, not Joshua, sends the spies out, they come back and they give a report back. And we see it's a perfect example of fear operating. So two, we all know the story. Two of the spies think, hey, that's amazing. God's given us thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. The other 10 are like, whoa, 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 hold on. There's some, some real practical things to look at. So I'll get to that now. But, but so fear says, you will die. God says, I have given this to you. And fear says, if you go for it, you will die. And the real choice that we have, simple, simple choice in dealing with fear, is who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to fear? It's telling you you're going to die. Or are you going to listen to your heavenly father who says, I have given this to you. And at the end of the day, dealing with fear actually comes down to an obedience issue. 
who are you going to listen to? Because having fear is not really the issue. We all get scared at times. We all get scared at times. And being scared is not the issue. Thinking, oh my goodness, if I step out here, it's going to be terrifying. The issue is when you choose to obey fear, you disobey God. God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. This is the land I've given you. Joshua had a choice. I had Jericho in front of me. Flipping out. We've got a ragtag motley crew. These guys have never really fought a battle. They know nothing. And then God gives them a strategy, go and sing around, you know, sing praises around the camp. It's like, for heaven's sake, you know what I mean? But at that moment, he had to choose. So fear in itself is not a sin. The sin and the problem comes in when we give fear a place of authority in our lives and we say yes to fear and no to God. Yes to fear and no to God. So just some things about fear. Bottom line, fear is a liar. I think there's a song about that, a really cool song. Fear is a liar. It never, ever tells the truth. The first thing that fear does, if you, this is all taken from Numbers 13 verse 30, is fear will make your problems look bigger than they are. They are like giants in our eyes. So when fear is operating, it's going to make whatever you have in front of you, whatever Jericho looks like in front of you, whatever that sea looks like in front of you, it's going to be like, ah, I can't do it. They're big. They're giants. That's the first thing fear does. The second thing fear does, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. It twists and makes you look smaller. And suddenly you're looking useless. And so who ever felt like when you're scared, you feel like totally useless? Like there's nothing I can do. That's what fear does. It lies to you and says you are useless. They are giants. You are useless. The next thing that fear does is it makes the consequences of things going wrong seem irredeemable. So it's like this is the thought process. Oh, my word. If we go and take on Jericho and we lose... We are dead, we are finished, there's no coming back from that. And so it raises the gain, oh my word, and it heightens the fear. But we need to understand that nothing is irredeemable in the kingdom. When in God's economy, nothing is irredeemable. Lazarus was dead a couple days. When they came to him, we wish you had got here earlier. He wouldn't have died if you got here earlier. Wasn't it an issue for a Jesus? He said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And sometimes the supernatural miracles in your lives are going to be the things that are dead and finished, and you think, oh, I stuffed that up so badly, I'm tickets. And you'll just hear the spirit of Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out. Come out. And brings life to the things that you thought were dead. So fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. The other thing fear does And it makes Egypt look like the better option. It makes Cairo look good. You know, you're sitting in, you got Jericho here, and you suddenly, oh my word, let's go back to Cairo. Brick brick making was an honorable profession. The fact we didn't have straw doesn't matter, we're back. Because it makes what's in front of you too big, and you want to just, you know what? It's like, I'm just tired of fighting. I I haven't got the capacity to fight anymore. I just want to go and settle. Yeah, it's, it's not my dream house, and it's not my dream this, and it's not my anything, but hey, I'll just stay in my little space. 
and the very purposes and the very, very prophetic call and mandate over your life has been sold for a little bit of comfort. A little bit of comfort. We are called to be overcomers. That means, dear friends, that you will have things to overcome in your life. Part of the Christian walk is that there will be things in front of you and you will have to deal with them and you will have to overcome them. Sometimes pop scared, sometimes not knowing what on earth to do, but we are called to be overcomers. There is a lie almost that if you listen to God and you do what God says, life is gonna be a breeze. I don't know what scripture you're reading, but that's not there. It's just not there. When you obey God, when you're doing, God's favor will be on you, but there will be things to be dealt with and things to overcome. And when we kind of think, I'm doing something wrong, or I just want to go back to the good times where it's nice and easy, we are hoping for a utopia that's not in the gospel. And finally, just about fear. You know, because Christians, we're quite clever. So we don't just like, we've got special ways of, of giving ourselves permission to do things. So we can have people, we can have fear in our lives operating, and we've made friends with it. But all we do is we change its name. So when you've got, when you're friends with fear, it won't sound appropriate to say, hey guys, meet my mate, fear. It's just not the thing you do in Christian circles. So you, to keep him next to you, you have to change his name. So you say, hey guys, meet my friend, wisdom. I'm doing, I'm not taking any risks. I've spread my money out in baskets. I'm not going this, I'm not doing that. I'm living in wisdom. No, you're not. You're living in fear and calling it wisdom. If you read through the gospel, if you read through the Acts and the gospels and the Old Covenant, there is no ways that you can live a life out of earthly wisdom and live a life of faith. You have to have supernatural wisdom that counter makes earthly wisdom look foolish. It might be putting away for your retirement as wise, but sometimes God says this, and then you've got a, you've got a choice. Do I operate out of fear, which I call earthly wisdom, or do I hear God? To be generous. I need a, God says I need to be giving into my church community. Well, you know, I've got to put away. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'll give a little bit. It's called fear. It's not wisdom. And so we, we do that. We mask it. Okay, so that's the first thing is fear. The second thing that, I, that, that, um, that we need to deal with is shame. See, fear will say to you, you will die. But shame will say, who do you think you are? So fear will keep you out of the promises and the call of God by saying, if you do that, you will die. The shame that rests on our lives, as soon as you want to step up and put your hand up and say, yes, Jesus, shame comes to you and says, who do you think you are? And I know none of you have ever heard that. It's just me and Janine that have got those issues. And suddenly it's like, ooh, I'm going to get exposed if I put my fan up. Let me just pack my little suitcase away, slip it under the bed, set the house on fire. <laughs> you know, in the South Africans, we have a funny relationship with shame. We really do. And we only realize that we had, we had a, a, a team out from America, and we were sitting in our house chatting and Laura, the, the lady who was out there, Laura Griffiths, was, was chatting, telling a story, I think about her, her kids and something bad happened to one of her grandchildren or something. And Janine was listening and she said, oh, shame, you know, and our empathetic, and it sounds, now you're trying to, and she stopped and she looked and said, no, it's not shame. And she was like indignant. 
that Janine was like, because she didn't understand, like in South Africa, ach, shame. But actually, if you think, where did the root of that come from? Or, ach, shame on you. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible, it's from our Calvinistic upbringing where we, we put shame on people. But shame will always call you out when you want to stand up and begin to step into something. And it started, you know, shame came right at the beginning. Genesis 3, eat the fruit, suddenly they realize they're naked, out the fig leaf or whatever leaf it was, and disappear and hide. And it's like, God comes in, why are you hiding? See, shame, when we realize our sinfulness and we realize how pathetic we are in many ways, we try and hide ourselves. And the thing is, shame cannot live in the light. The antidote to shame is actually vulnerability. It's saying, hey, Rog, I'm struggling with pornography. Can you help me? Can you walk a journey with me? Can you hold me accountable? I want to process this. Or I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling in my marriage or struggling with finances. And, and when you open something up, it's the most vulnerable space you can be in. But when you do that, the light of heaven comes and shame has lost its grip. Because the purpose of shame is to keep you out of the purposes of God. And so when you're carrying something that you know if other people saw right now, it would be very embarrassing or you'd feel shame, you don't put yourself in a place where people can see that or people can know that. So we'll do things in relationships. If we're starting a relationship and suddenly the person getting close, we'll, oh, this is not working for me. Sabotage, ka-ching, do something to push the person away. Because at the essence, a lack of being able to be close to other people, to be intimate, at its very core is shame. I'm not worthy. That's what shame says. And so shame, actually, the enemy uses that to lock us out of our destiny. What's interesting is a guy called Jamie Winship, really cool guy, he talks a lot around identity and that, and he worked for the, for the, he worked for the CIA, working in um, Afghanistan, and, and his job was to inoculate village communities from being radicalized. So they would go into communities, they'd take teams into these villages in the outbacks, and they would teach them around identity and when they found that, and, the, and he's a Christian, a strong Christian, when they taught these guys, they're teaching these Muslims around something of personal identity in that, it inoculated them when the Taliban and all the bad guys came along and ISIS came along and wanted to recruit them because they knew something of who they were. Anyway, Jamie Winship, um, so what he, he talks about shame as one of the key things, and what he says is our coping mechanism for shame goes either way. On the one side, it goes that you will hunker down and you will not put yourself on display. You're high, you're locked down so nobody can see into you. And I think it's personality driven, you know, depending what your personality is. But on the other side, you go big. Look at me, I'm amazing. Allah Kardashians. Look at me, look at me, how amazing am I? Look at me, look at me. And it's like you're trying to convince yourself that you have value while you're telling everybody else you have value, as soon as somebody is telling you they've got value or they're amazing, generally you can link that straight back to their carrying shame in their lives and they're trying to prove to themselves and everybody else and cover it up by saying, I'm amazing. But both ways 
that shame is going to stop us walking into what God has for us because we're dealing with this level instead of what God has for us. Okay, so shame is really, really important. You see, so in many ways, the pursuit of fame is a shame-coping mechanism. Erwin McManus, in his book, The Ways of the Warrior, talks around, uh, you've got like seven or eight different ways of a warrior, of how you deal with things. And, and I think his number two way of the warrior is the way of the warrior is hiddenness. And which is, if you think about it, is counter-cultural to our whole world right now. It's look at me on Instagram, look at me here, look at me there. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And so it's like we have confused, and even in the Christian world, we have confused shame, I mean, sorry, fame and significance. You see, when what you're doing is important to God and significant to God, it doesn't matter if anyone else knows. He knows. When what you are pursuing for, the, for everybody else, look at me, look what I've done. Flip, I'm helping these people, and I'm doing amazing things here, and I've got outreaches over there, and I'm doing this here, and actually, most of our testimonies are actually not about Jesus at all. Our testimony is about how good am I? And you add a little, and Jesus is amazing at the end of it, but really what you're saying is, hey, I'm amazing. I've done this and I've done that. I've been in outreach, 17 people got healed, and when I did this, and 23 people there, and I walked in water over here, it was really amazing. It was just so good. Yeah, and God is with us. The way of the true believer, the person who understands what significance in heaven is all about is hiddenness. I don't need anybody to know. And if the Father chooses, he will promote me and make me known. But it's not my bidding and not my choice. It's his bidding and his choice. And if for the rest of my life, I stay hidden. It's a beautiful thing because then my rewards are greater. So hiddenness is a very powerful thing. It's something we need to practice because it deals with shame in our lives. So the final point that I want to deal with is offense. Offense. Now, offense is actually an equal opportunity employer. Anyone can be offended. You don't have to be somebody to be offended. But the thing is this. In my experience, that is the key thing that takes out Christian leaders is offense. They get offended, they get hurt, and they, get, and they don't deal with it, and they go into smallness. And they stay. They disconnect from their calling, they disconnect from their, what God has for them, and they park themselves to the side. And they say, I'm not moving forward until this offense is dealt with. And they point at other things and other people to deal with it. You see, when we carry offense, we stay connected to the past season or a past event. So we can't enter in. It's kind of like this. I'm crossing this, I'm crossing this, the, the, I'm ready to cross, going towards Jericho. Jordan opens up. I'm crossing in. I'm right, but I'm going to take this out and I'm going. But it's like an elastic band connected to something that happened in Sinai that I want dealt with. And I go on, and suddenly I get to a certain point where I can't go on anymore because I still have this thing that... And I go back, 
and I try, try again. And everybody else is going forward and getting into their, and walking into their destinies. And I'm getting more and more miffed at God because I'm not going into what he's called me to, but I'm staying connected to the past event or the past season. And so this, it's like a catch-22 offense. Locks us in and ties us down. Basically, when you're offended, your new season, the, new, the thing that God has for you, the promised land that God has for you, is held captive to your old season or your old event. And it's like, I'm not going into that until you sort out that. So Roger, I'm not going to go and do this until you come and apologize for the way you treated me. That was diabolical what you did. I can't believe you did that. And you call yourself a leader. And you did that to me. So I'm, I'm going to punish everyone in my future because I'm not going to be who God called me to be. I'm not going to carry the blessings and the favor and the thing of God into my future because Roger, you did what you did. Now deal with that, Roger. And I'm punishing Roger. But the only person I'm hurting is myself and those people that I'm called to make an impact to. And do you know how many leaders, I'm sorry to say I know, that are offended with the church or with church leaders because something went wrong, something fell apart, and they're holding their future hostage to their past. And the devil sits and he's saying, man, this is easy work. This is so easy. I just cause a little bit of offense, sit back, and you guys sort it all out for me. I don't have to do anything. And we just get more and more hurt and more and more angry, and it causes chaos. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Bill Johnson says, offense will eventually lead to deception. And at first, I didn't kind of make the connection. But the longer I've been around and experiencing friends of mine that have stayed offended, I can see their theology starting to shift, and they're beginning to make up stories, and their thinking begins to change to their experience, and their experience begins to inform their theology, not the gospel, not the good news, and before you know it, they're in some measure of deception. And if you chat to them, you'll think, hey, they're still good, they're doing their thing, but they're deceived, and, they've, and what they've done is they've locked themselves out of the call and the destiny of God. So, let me round this up. Fear says to you, you will die. Can I have the band up? And the lie attached to that, it's a lie about God's goodness and God's capacity to protect you. When fear is dominant in your life, the lie that you're believing is the goodness of God and his capacity to protect you. Shame says you don't deserve it. And the lie that you're believing at that point is that the gospel isn't really true. That Jesus made a mistake by dying for me. And we, 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 we think that we earn our value. Our value is not dependent on who we are. Our value is dependent on the price that he paid. So the one is a lie about God's goodness. The other one is a lie about the truth of the gospel. And then finally, when you come to offense, offense is a harder one to deal with 
because it's not actually a lie. Offense is a demand. And the demand of offense is I'm not moving forward until I get justice. So really, if you think about offense, it's like, God, unless you deal with Roger, I'm not moving forward. I am demanding the justice of God visit Roger and his household for the damning things he did to me, otherwise I'm not going forward. You know, there's a, there's a, a parable It was around, un, around forgiveness, but it's the same thing where the one was forgiven much and then he never forgave and it, it didn't really work out too well for him. And when we hold on to um, offense, we invite by the principles of heaven, we invite judgment on ourselves. We remove ourselves from grace, not we choose, we choose. We say, I don't want your grace anymore, God, because I want you to punish Roger for what he did for me. I want him to pay. The way my wife treated me when she left me, the affairs she had, they need to pay. And so I remove myself from grace by demanding judgment. Because as you judge, so you will be judged. As you demand, so it'll happen to you. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to start a process with us. I want to, I want us to, as a community, begin to say, Father, I have listened to fear. I have been listening. I have been obeying fear. And because I've been obeying fear, the byproduct of that somehow I haven't been listening to you. Somehow I haven't been listening to you. Or maybe it's, Father, this shame, this belief I have that I'm not worth it. I actually in somehow haven't really understood what the new covenant is about. I haven't understood that because of your death, Jesus, I've died to myself and I'm alive in you and I stand before the Father in Christ so it's not really about me. So I'm, I'm missing something there, Father. Or maybe, Father, it's like I've got judgment. I'm carrying offense. I, it's so hard for me to let go. That pain, were, and let me tell you, the pain is real. The, 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 the hurt we experience when people do things to you, I'm not diminishing that. That's real. It's real. And getting over a friend sometimes is a process. It's not a thing. But this morning, I want us to be able to say, if we're offended, say, Father, I acknowledge that I'm offended. And so the thing is this, what we do, we come to God in confession. And confession is this. Confession is me telling God the truth and telling God my truth. So God, I am offended. Father, I have been listening to fear. Father, I'm sorry I've been doing this. It's telling God your truth. You see, unless you tell the truth, you can't process on. And so I want to give us an opportunity to tell God the truth, to have some confession and tell Him the truth. And then what we'll do, we're going to have some repentance. And repentance is not necessarily, what some of us think, about us saying we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. It might have that. But repentance is actually God telling us His truth, which is the truth. 
So confession is putting our truth and saying, I'm not going to hold on to this, Father. Here's something that I believe. I'm, I'm, I've been listening to fear. And then repentance is hearing the Father speak to us and tell us something different, tell us His truth. And then for us to believe that and to live out of that truth and not the previous truth, not our truth out of His truth. So I want to invite you, if you feel like you have something you want to do business with God, I want to invite you just to stand where you are. We're not going to take long. We're going to do this quickly. This is between you and your heavenly Father. And just where you are, just begin to tell Him your truth. Be honest. He knows it already. You don't have to hide. You can drop the fig leaf. Just tell Him your truth. Father, this is my truth. I'm mad as a rattlesnake. I'm hurt. I don't think I can ever love again. I don't think I can trust the church leader again. My husband is a useless whatever. My wife doesn't know how to love me. My children is whatever it is. Tell him your truth. And then I want you to ask Holy Spirit for his truth. Ask him, Father, in that situation, what is your truth? And he's going to speak to you right now. The thought's going to come into your mind, and he's going to give you a, he's going to give you a truth for that situation. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.